Good morning. So glad that you came today, glad that you're here with us at Oakwood. If somebody invited you to come for this Easter series, we are being aggressive, aren't we? We've got four weeks of Easter. I know that typically it's just one Sunday, but we want you to be here all four weeks. Uh, And then perhaps if you don't have a church home, we want you to be here with us uh, moving on from there. We're just so glad that you came and participated with us for this series We've been studying the book of Romans, and I was telling the people in our church that attend Oakwood regularly that this series is not a teaching series. During Romans, I teach verse by verse, and there's some depth that we have to get into, Uh, but this is not like that. This is going to be straight up just preaching the word about Easter and the implications of Easter. And this whole series is based on that word implication, and I'll give you the definition of that word in just a moment. But 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4, that's the theme of the whole series. Each week we've got something different we're looking at, but the theme for the whole series is 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. Let me read it for you. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The gospel is simply wrapped up in those two verses. That's the gospel. I know there's a lot of things in theology that we could talk about in that gospel, but the gospel is this. Jesus Christ died for our sins. He was buried, but three days later he rose again, conquering death and sin once and for all. That's the gospel. But there are implications that come from that verse. And so implications, I'm going to pray. People in our church are nervous because I didn't pray. And they're like, he can't preach until he prays. I'm not preaching. I'm getting warmed up, all right? Implication simply means a possible future effect or result. The fact or state of being involved in or connected to something. Implication. I think you understand what it means. Implications. Uh, Julie and I had the opportunity last week during part of the week, a couple of days, we drove down to uh, Baltimore. And it is down, by the way. I argued about this with my daughter for a long time. My daughter claims that it's in the south. I'm like, no, no. But they are. Actually, they are. If you look it up, they are actually part of the south. Uh, It's got to be the northernest part of the south. But it's part of the south. Uh, So we went down to Baltimore. My daughter's been living there for this year. She's getting her master's at Johns Hopkins University. I had never seen it. If you recall last year, my back went out really bad. So my family took all of her stuff and moved her and I couldn't go because I couldn't take the trip and I couldn't lift things. So I had to stay home. So I had never seen where Caitlin lives. And Julie said, you need to go and see where your daughter lives and be part of that. And I'm like, okay, let's, let's spring break. She had the week off. So we took a couple of days and we drove down south uh, to, to Baltimore. Now there's some implications that happen. Baltimore is a city like most cities. It is jam-packed full of people. Jam-packed full of people. And all those people have five cars. I don't know why. But everybody has cars. I don't know why anybody needs a car like that in a city that you can take public transportation. But everybody in America has one or two or more cars. And they don't fit. There's nowhere to park. We were on Fleet Street. If you know anything about Baltimore, we were right at the Inner Harbor there. It's beautiful. My daughter actually, on top of her apartment, there's one of those wooden uh, porch structures that they built out of toothpicks. It scared me to death. It's way up high. And, it, and we went up there, and you look out over the harbor. It's beautiful. But the problem is, there's nowhere to park. We had an a Airbnb kind of a thing, and, and uh, they said, find parking. 
And that's kind of the game you play. If anybody's been with me on the inner city, I love playing find a parking space. And I can put a vehicle, doesn't matter if it's a 15-passenger van, I can put it, I can, I can do that parking, I can do all that stuff. So it's just a game, find the open spot. But then the other game is trying to understand the signs on the street. Because there are signs everywhere saying no parking from 7 a.m. to 6.59 a.m. on weekdays and then if there's a snowstorm. And I mean, the signs are like, what? I mean, obviously, it's near Washington, D.C., and politicians got together in a committee and put those signs out because they make no sense. You can't understand them. And so quite often, I would find a spot two, sometimes three blocks away from where we stayed, and I would take it. I'd pull in, I'd park perfectly, and then I'd start reading the signs. Am I going to get a ticket? That's the game you play. It's, it's an open spot. Well, is it open because it's supposed to be open? You're not supposed to park there. I don't know. So every night when I'd go to bed thinking I'm going to go to bed and this car's going to be here through the night, will it, A, be there in the morning? B, will it have a piece of paper on the windshield? Or C, Do they not do that and just send you it in the mail? I don't know, but I'll let you know by next week how many tickets I got. Because I'm afraid the mail is going to deliver all these little letters saying, there's some implications from what you've done. And you've got to pay for it. I know this happens because my daughter was only living there temporarily and she has our home as her home address. And so every once in a while I get her tickets in the mail. When she had parked, and there are consequences, and dad pays the ticket, and she never even knows about it, but implications. Everybody say implications. Implications. Let's pray this morning as we get into our series. Would you pray this prayer? Would you say, God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. Just give God that prayer. God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. God, I pray that you would be glorified. I pray that everyone hearing this would be edified, and I pray that Satan would be horrified. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, specifically, we're looking at John chapter 11. Just for a little bit, we're going to be there. If you want to turn there to John chapter 11, we're only going to read two of these verses, but that's going to be the theme for our talk today, John 11. Verses 21 through 26 of John 11. This is a story that I share at funerals. It's my favorite message to give because it happens at a funeral and Jesus is at the funeral and there's some things that take place that take place at funerals still today. But there's an important part of this little story in Scripture about a funeral. It's where Martha comes and confronts Jesus I love what the Bible does with women, by the way. I know so many people think that the Bible is anti-woman and against women, and it's just not. It's radically different than the society at that time. Because we have Martha showing up, and she's giving Jesus the business. Now, you're going to find out that she knows he is the Messiah, the Son of God. Martha still (laughs) gives Jesus, knowing he is the Son of God, gives him the business. And don't get it wrong. Don't read it too politely. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That's, she'd given him the business. <laughs> I mean, uh, I don't want to relate too much to Jesus there, but every once in a while, somebody at church comes and gives me the business, and it's just like this. Don, 
if you had, then I'd, you know, whatever it might be. And you just take a deep breath. Obviously, I don't think Jesus had to deal with any of these things that I deal with because he understood what had happened and he knew what was coming and he, he was all about God's business in this story, but he allowed Martha to be upset at him. She then tames down a little bit and says, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know, he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. I love how Martha just starts repeating a sermon she'd heard, you know. She's like, I know, I know, I know, fine, yeah, heaven, and, you know, one day I'm going to see him again. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, God. That's what Martha's doing at this point. If you had been here, he wouldn't have died. But even now, I know God will give you what you ask. Jesus says, your brother will rise again. She says, I know, I know, in the resurrection, the last day, blah, blah, blah. And Jesus says, no. And I imagine he looked her right in the eyes And he said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? I love preaching this at funerals because it's it's life's ultimate question. I believe Jesus asked the most ultimate question that could ever be asked. Do you believe this? And it's a great question to ask when we're at funerals because that's a time when we're contemplating our future. My question for you today is, do you believe this? Easter has implications. And I want you to understand all the implications. There are consequences for choices made in this life. The ultimate question that you must answer at the end of the day is message. Do you believe this? Is this part of your belief system? Have you totally gone all in and said, I'm with God, I'm with Jesus. I believe this, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by him, that he is the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in him will live even though they die. Do you believe this? In order to understand all about Easter, though, we've got to start at the beginning. And so I want you to go with me to Genesis. Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. And we're going to talk about how that sneaky old snake and original sin changed everything. I am not a fan of snakes, so this was very difficult for me. Snakes just make me, I get crazy out of, you know, I mean, I'm like, ah, I think it's biblical. I mean, you could read on in Genesis chapter 3 that God created enmity between man and the snake. So I think I'm more biblical than the people that run snakeatoriums or whatever. I, I don't get that. There's a weird thing. I mean, maybe you're one of these people, and God bless you if you love animals. Maybe you're closer to God than I am. I don't know. But snakes scare me. Uh, just, it just, so carefully today, I, I just, you know, I, I brought this, and I, I wanted to, um, just to make the illustration complete, be careful. I've got to be in the right spot here. Okay. Might want to take a look around real quick. I forgot there's holes here. I'm just kidding. There was no snake, right? Okay. How many of you are thinking about leaving, though? Anybody? If Fran was here, Fran Maddock is scared to death. She's probably coming to second service. Oh, I'm going to get her good. 
I couldn't bring a snake in, people. I told you, I'm scared to death of snakes. This is for illustrative purposes only. Because if you're like me, you're like, you got to be kidding me. There better not be no snake underneath that. Of course there's no snake. I'm a wimp. There was never going to be a snake. But we have to go to the beginning, to Genesis, to find out the implications of Easter. Easter means nothing until you read Genesis chapter 3. Now listen, I'm sad to say this morning, the world obviously doesn't believe in Genesis as the story of God's creation. Sadly, even worse, Christians have walked away from believing in the book of Genesis as a literal historical fact. They want to make it, I wrote it down, myth, legend, saga, poetry, I don't know. People would look at me and say, Pastor, you really believe that the Bible is to be taken literally? And I literally tell them, yes, the Bible is to be taken literally unless it tells you not. There are some genres of scripture that aren't to be taken literally. It's, it's like, um, like and as, and you know, it compares things. And parables, parables are, are earthly stories that have a heavenly meaning, but they didn't actually take place. Understand that, right? So when you read a parable... Like the lost son. Jesus told the parable of the lost son. There was not actually a man and a son and a, a prodigal. He was telling a story to make an earth. That's not to be taken literally, but the point is to be taken literally. So there are scriptures where you don't take things literally, but I want to tell you categorically, Genesis is the history of the world. And I believe it to be true. I don't know how people, especially Christians, can deny all of Genesis as just fable, made-up story, how ancient people understood their world. I, I, I hear all that. I hear people say that. I have a problem with that because if Genesis is not true, there is no need for Jesus to die on a cross. Why would God send his son to die if it was made up? So I want to let you know, and you don't have to agree with me. That's one thing beautiful about Oakwood. A lot of people come from different backgrounds. Maybe you're struggling with this very thing I'm talking about. We're still friends. I'm not against you. But you need to know that pastor holds very strictly to the fact that the Bible is to be taken literally unless we know it's not meant to be taken literally. And I believe that Genesis is the history of the beginning of the world, including the beginning of sin. So what we hear here in Genesis chapter 3, to you might sound like an old story, an old wives' tale, but I believe that it actually happened, and there are implications. In the 14th century, the bubonic plague, also known as the Black Plague, swept across Europe, killing an estimated 75 million people. Can you imagine a pandemic? That would affect people like that? Can you, can you imagine <laughs> something of that nature? But not even close what we've gone through. 75 million people dead? The implications of sin that I'm going to talk about today is much deadlier. It's 100%. The implications of what I'm going to tell you in Genesis affects every one of you. Not just some of you. Not a percentage of you, not a portion of you, but all of you, all of us. The worldwide pandemic that wreaks havoc the most 
is what we're going to read that began in Genesis chapter 3, and that's the effects of sin, the implication of sin. And we can't go into the rest of Easter, I can't head into Good Friday until we read this story and believe it's true. Sin entered the world, and death by sin. Let me read Genesis 3, 1 through 7. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then God comes looking for Adam. Immediately, you've got to be struck by the words, now the serpent was more crafty than all the other wild animals. And he said to the woman, what? Talking snakes? PD, why don't you go back and talk about that literal thing again? Well, listen, you understand that the garden was different than it is today. And I don't know. There are some things I don't know. And I can't tell you exactly today. Did snakes talk before sin? Well, apparently so. Did all the animals talk? Maybe. We don't know. Maybe they all communicated with. Here's the only reason why I think it wasn't out of the ordinary Eve did not freak out. <laughs> When hearing this story, it says now, this chapter 3, by the way, starts with no warning, no indication that anything was awry. At this point, everything was perfect. I wrote some words down here. God had said it was very good. There was no crime, no poverty, no sickness, no death. It was pure, perfect, and pristine was totally different than anything we can comprehend today and apparently snakes could talk it amazes me that there is no warning to eve eve when you get up you better have your devotions and pray because you're going to be tempted today you got to be ready there's no warning eve is living in a perfect world it's beyond belief she has no reason to fear not even snakes There was nothing in Eve that was startled by the presence of a snake. That's why there's no warning. Genesis 3 starts, a snake comes over and starts talking to Eve. And she has a conversation. Do I understand that? No. I do know that after sin, God judged and things changed. There was a judgment on mankind and women. And there was a judgment on animal. There was a judgment on the whole earth. And what blows my mind is that this conversation that I just read for you probably took less than a minute. Have you ever stopped to think? The thing that changed everything lasted for less than a minute. 
And I don't want anybody to walk away saying PD was picking on women today. I am one that holds very firmly to the fact that Adam was standing there the whole time. Why he didn't say anything, no one knows. If anybody wants to know who's culpable for this, Adam, as the representative federal of mankind, he's responsible for this taking place. He watched it take place, he didn't stop it, and he joined in. That's why the Bible later on talks about sin came from Adam. So this is not picking on women today. Eve had no idea what was taking place. She was surprised, but not in a scary way. It was a normal day for her. and She had a minute conversation, and that minute conversation changed to something that changed everything. I appreciate all the people that helped us with all our decorations. Ed Mao made this wonderful thing for me. This is just not to, you know, I don't want to ruin the big surprise, but this is actually a cross, okay? Uh, you know, but I told Ed, as soon as he built it, the first week it needs to be a tree because we're going to talk about sin first, and then we'll talk about the cross. He made this beautiful cross. If you ask an engineer to build it, they will, and it will never be moved. This is quite a construction here. He did a great job. But I'm using it as a tree today. And from the, the tree, there was some fruit. And no, it wasn't an apple. I know it's so, everybody thinks it was an apple. Nowhere in the Bible does it say it was an apple. Uh, this is, I just thought it was awesome looking. Uh, this is a dragon fruit. I think it's probably, I mean, a dragon fruit, right? We know that in Revelation, the snake has become a dragon. And so I think it's more along the lines of something like this. But who knows what it was? But it was all about this, and a conversation lasted a minute. And what Satan did was he played Bible trivia with two of the people that were on the planet. Oh, that snaky, sneaky old snake. The approach is surprising and subtle. Surprising and subtle. Temptation comes when we are not expecting it. Beware, be prepared. Satan is there with no introduction doing his diabolical work. And we do know that the snake is Satan. I know that some people have said, well, maybe it was just one bad snake in the bunch. No, God said everything he created was good. I believe it was a snake, but I believe Satan had come and overtaken this snake. We do know that because Revelation, if you could put it on the screen, Revelation 12.9 says, The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil. Or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. I believe Revelation is letting us know that the snake that was in the garden was actually Satan personifying the snake. So that old sneaky snake comes and uses what God had made. And he tricks, he tricks Eve. Listen, they were not looking for the snake, but that old sneaky snake was looking for them. Satan comes and his, his approach is surprising and it's subtle. Kind of the sad thing about our culture today is that when Satan is represented, it's usually that cartoon red with the uh, horns and the, the tail and the pitchfork. And, and uh, I heard a story once, uh, uh, there was a movie out in the theaters and the, the person depicted Satan with that little pitchfork and the, and, and the little girl in the car said, oh, mommy, what's that? She goes, oh, don't worry about that, that's just Satan. And I think that's what our culture has done, taken Satan and turned him into a cartoon and made him much less deadly than he actually is. Because he comes and he's surprising 
and he is very subtle. The second thing I see in this passage is the strategy involved conversation and controversy. Again, Satan starts a little Bible trivia. You know, I don't know if he let her know what he was doing, but he plays a wonderful little game. Did God really say? That's what Satan starts with. Did God really say? Eve, we're going to play a little bit of God, God's word trivia, Bible trivia. Did God really say? Eve responded with this. We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden, or you must not even touch it or you will die. One thing that bothers me the most about this passage is that Adam was there. He did not intervene. When Bible trivia came up and Eve was being asked the questions, you need to know Eve wasn't there when God said it. Adam was there when God said not to eat from the tree in the middle of the garden. Eve only knew what Adam had told her about what God had said. Why Adam didn't say, Eve, 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 make sure you get this exactly right. And her answer is interesting. It starts to show cracks right from the beginning. She makes three mistakes. Number one, she downplays God's permission. When God told Adam what he could eat, he said, Adam, you can eat from any tree in the garden except this one. Any tree. When Eve responds, it might be very slight, but she responds with, God said we can eat from the trees. She downplays God's permission, the trees. Not any tree. It might be a small thing, but small things is all Satan needs to know that she doesn't have it exactly right. Satan was winning. By the way, Satan knows God's word probably better than all of us. And he uses God's word. He uses God's very words against Eve. He does it to Jesus he quotes scripture to Jesus when he tempted him in the wilderness. So you better know your Bible. You better know God's word and you better get it right. Not just in the ballpark. Because Eve already is starting to show cracks. God said you can eat from any tree. She said the trees. That might seem small, but then she does something bigger. She not only downplays God's permission, she added to the prohibition. She got it right when she said you must not eat the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden. And then she added, and you must not even touch it or you will die. God didn't say that. Mankind usually downplays what God has given us and usually overplays his rules. Now Eve added to the rules. God didn't say you can't touch it. He said don't eat the fruit. As far as we know, they could play in the tree. They could swing from the tree. They could do anything from the tree. Who knows? Maybe Adam had told Eve, Eve, don't even touch it. I don't know, men, have you ever... Have you ever overstated something to your wife, you know, in the car, you know, when she's touching things? Like, don't even touch it or we will die, okay? Don't, don't touch these things. Like, my wife, if there's any sort of a hill, my wife loves to put on the emergency brake in the car. And I grew up in a city, and it was a pretty flat city. I've never touched an emergency brake in my life. I've never had the need for an emergency brake. So therefore, when I get in a car, I'm not expecting there to be an emergency brake on, and have you ever gotten in a car and tried to drive it with the emergency brake on? It doesn't go well. And so then when I come and talk to my wife, I'm like, honey, why did you? That's kind of out of, and I wanted, I just, I just, 
And I'm like, don't even touch it or we'll die. Who knows if that's what Adam said? Eve, don't eat this fruit. And then Adam thinks, you know what? I better amp this up. Don't even go near the tree. Don't even be in the vicinity of the tree. Because if you even look at the tree, if you even smell the tree, if you even touch the tree, we will die. So Eve is maybe just rehearsing what the rules were that she had been brought up with. Anybody been brought up with some rules that were added to God's word? Amen. It happens. And I think it happened in Genesis 3. And Eve says to Satan, I know the rules. Don't eat the fruit. Don't even touch the tree or you will die. And then Satan does something that just in the face of God's truth, he says, no, you will not certainly die. We've been playing Bible trivia, but now Satan is saying, what you heard is not true. It's a conversation and it has some controversy and the conversation leads to doubt and desire. Already, Eve is losing in the game of Bible trivia, but now all of a sudden, Satan's going to lie to her, a bold-faced lie. You will not certainly die. And Eve doesn't know. She doesn't know. And it leads her to doubt. Satan openly denies what God said. Why? Because if you are convinced you can get away with sin, sooner or later you're going to do it. If somebody can convince you that you're going to get away with something, you're going to go and do it. I can say that with confidence because we're sinful people. Why? Because Genesis 3 tells them that Adam, the federal head of mankind, chose to disobey God. And from Adam, everyone born has been born with a sin problem since then. And we tend to think, if I can get away with this without getting in too much trouble, I think I might do it. And we play that game. I read a story this week about a man who was offered an opportunity to turn in a bid. And this is a bid for a building project, but not one that you're familiar with. We're talking a multi-million dollar bidding project, a building project worth millions, millions of dollars, this contractor. A lot was on the line. And they were asked to submit blind, um, what are those called? Bids, yeah, blind bids. And... The man came to the guy in charge, the big boss's office, on the last day of these blind bids. And he had his bid in his hand, and he was going to submit it to him in person. And so he walked in and walked into the man's office, and there was his office, but no boss. He happened to be not in the office. Big mahogany desk standing there. And so the guy comes in with a lot on the line, holding his bid in his hand, and he notices on the desk is the bid from his closest competitor. And he walks a little closer to just, maybe I can just see what this bottom line number is. Because if I can come in just, just under that number, I'm going to get this million dollar bid. Problem was, when he got close, there was a can of Coke sitting right on that document. And it was sitting right over the number he needed to see. You know, if I just saw that number, I could... A lot of people could get paid. I, it would be good for people if I could just... And he looks around and makes sure nobody's watching. All he needs to do is move the can just a little bit and look at that number. And so he goes and he, he picks up the can to see the number just for a second. The problem is as soon as he lifted up the can, it was hollowed out and it had a thousand BBs in it. And the BBs poured out all over the desk. He'd been set up. 
We're like that. If we think we can just, just, I'm not doing it really that bad. I, I just got to, I just. Whenever we get to that point, we're in big, big trouble. It's the law of unintended consequences. He didn't realize that there's no way he's going to get a thousand BBs back in this can on time. He's busted. Everybody say busted. I don't know about you, but I've been a rebel my whole life. So there's been lots of moments of my life like that. As a teen, it was the law of unintended consequences. I never meant for this to happen. Friends, let me tell you, Eve and Adam never meant for this to happen. If we could have told Eve before she met that sneaky snake, listen, all of humanity is on the line here. You're going to have a one-minute conversation today. Don't believe him. He's a liar. Don't do it. Because if you do it, everything from here out is going to be pain, suffering, sweat. The roses will be beautiful, but they'll have thorns. If we could have just told them, Don't make that mistake. You will certainly be caught. You will certainly bring death, if only. Some of you might be thinking, I wish it was me. I wish I was the first Adam. Eh, you'd have done it too. Satan is cunning and he's crafty. He's subtle. And all he needed to do is just give that little bit of doubt. Connected to desire. Because what do we see next? Oh, he got him. He got him on three levels. He didn't need to do anything but just kind of say, it's going to be good. He lied. What three levels? Well, the practical level. The food was good to eat. The Bible says that Eve looked and she saw the fruit and it was good to be eaten. Got on a very practical level. Why would God say no? It's good food. That's the lust of the flesh. Secondly, the emotional level. The fruit looked beautiful. That's the lust of the eyes. Satan had gotten them. He had already won this battle. And they were dealing with what we deal with every day. The practical, the emotional, and finally the spiritual level. And this is where he lied. The fruit would bring wisdom. That's the pride of life. Satan says, why would God do this? Certainly you won't die and you'll be as smart as God. He's holding out on you. And friends, right from the beginning, you need to understand why I take Genesis literally. This literally became all of our issue. Sin becomes about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. God's holding back on you. He's holding out on you. You'll be happier. And ever since then, we played this game. I know God says blank, put whatever you want there, but I, I'm not happy. I hear this all the time. I'm not happy. I'm not happy. All Satan did to Eve was say, you won't die. You'll be better off. You're being withheld, Eve. You're being with, if you could just, you'll be happier. But God said blank, you'll be happier. So many people have suffered so many consequences because they knew God said blank, but I'm not happy, so I'll do the opposite. God says blank, but I blank. I hear it all the time in my office. People will come in and want pastor's advice, and I'll tell them, what does God say? Yeah, I know, but I, I hear it all the time, but I, I know God says blank, but I I'm above that. I I have more needs. I have, this is important for me. I'm not happy. And so I'm going to do this, even though God says, 
Don't do this. That sneaky old snake. The result is collaboration and catastrophe. Collaboration is a word people love to use today, but in the garden in Genesis chapter 3, it was not a good thing. The Bible says Eve took and she ate and she gave it to Adam. Who was with her? Keep saying that in your head, men. Quit blaming the women. Who was with her? By the way, since Genesis 3, mankind, men, our problem has been abdicating our godly role as leader in the home. We've been abdicating that. Leader in the church, we've been abdicating that. Will women step up and lead? Yes, and they're good at it, men. But God made you responsible. That's why when God talks about sin entering the world later on in Scripture, he talks about Adam. He doesn't talk about Eve. Let's not blame Eve. Eve was deceived. Adam knew right from wrong. Let's get that right. So men have been abdicating our roles ever since. Why does God then tell men how we're supposed to? Not to give us a leg up on those women, not to suppress them, not to step on their backs. Not at all, men. It's just that he knows your tendency, your propensity is to be like Adam. Sit there and watch the whole world fall apart and do nothing about it. Men, we've been called to lead. And Adam abdicated his role and when God, when we doubt God's goodness, sin won't seem so sinful. If you doubt that God is good, if he's holding back on you, then sin won't seem so sinful. Satan wants you to feel depraved by God. Do you feel depraved? If, I grew up feeling depraved because I thought religion was just a bunch of list of rules of don'ts. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. I don't smoke, I don't chew, I don't go with the girls who do. Woohoo! That was the whole thing growing up, man. It was just don't, don't dance. Dance might lead to sex standing up. I don't know. But anyways, there's rules. Got rules. I mean, movies were bad. Pool tables were bad. On and on and on and on it goes. Guys with long hair. Yeah, there's so many rules. And so I grew up thinking, man, number one, God hates teenagers because teenagers like these kind of things, and he must hate us, and he's holding out on us. And and what God has actually given us is life and life to its full. He's given us everything we need for happiness and joy in this temporary world and a life forever, a future of hope. He's given us all good things. And Satan comes and he says, eh doubt, desire, a little bit of collaboration. I'm going to eat, you eat, and then catastrophe. We can always justify disobedience if we try hard enough. What happens as a result of Genesis 3, 8 through 13? Let me read it for you. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to Adam, where are you? I want to stop there because I believe not only is Adam and Eve kept sinning throughout eternity as a federal head of mankind, I believe God continues to ask the question to every person ever born, where are you? I'm here for you. I've come to be with you. And mankind has been hiding. Adam answered, he said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Oh, just everything's unraveling. Everything is becoming so backwards. Before sin, there was no shame. Adam and Eve, they walked around in the, in the garden, and they didn't even know they were naked. There was no such thing as needing clothes, and there was no shame in that. And 
And, and there was definitely no fear of God. I know the Bible says fear the Lord, but that word fear means awe. Not be afraid of God. All of a sudden, they're not only awing of God, they're afraid of God. They're fearful of God showing up. Why? They had been in complete relationship. God showed up and walked with him in the garden. Oh my goodness, everything is upside down and backwards. Adam says, we heard you and we ran because we were afraid. We knew we were naked, so we hid. Now they're hiding and they're shame. And I could keep going all the way down to where we're at today with nations against nations and wars and rumors of wars and all sorts of, of upset over sin that takes place. And God responds, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And here it comes. The spiral continues. The toilet bowl downward. Adam's response was, That woman you gave me she gave me fruit to the, and I ate it. God looked at the woman. What is this you have done? The woman said, that serpent deceived me. We've been passing the buck since the beginning. I believe God created the world. And it was good. Before that happened, Satan had already been thrown from heaven. And he roamed to and fro. And in God's perfect world, he came and he just said, Did God really say? No. You won't surely die. And we've been dying ever since. Every broken relationship you have finds its seed in what happened in Genesis chapter 3. Every time you go to work and come home frustrated and mad, it began in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 has great implications. So that's where we started today, is that sneaky old snake in sin. And sin was going to have to be paid for. I don't want to give it away, but Good Friday's coming. And Easter's coming on Sunday. Keep coming back and keep hearing the implications of Easter. I'd ask my band to come and join us here on stage if they would. Let's pray together. Oh, God. We look at Genesis chapter 3 and we see what went so wrong. And God, we pray that we would be wise with the choices that we make. And God, that we wouldn't continue to run and hide, but we would come and say, God, help me. God, help me. God, I'm thankful that I know the end of this story already. And I'm thankful that you didn't let this end there. From the moment... You ask Adam, where are you? You already had an answer for him. A way out, a way to be restored. And God, I'm thankful you keep calling out. You keep calling to everyone who's ever been born. Where are you? I am good and my burden is, is not heavy. My burden is light. 
And I'm thankful that you didn't leave mankind to have to pay for this on his own, but you sent your son. And God, that sneaky old snake, he shows up again in a garden. And he tempts Jesus to do anything but die for sins. But he does go to that cross. And it's there on that cross that that snake gets a bite. And he thinks he's killed him. He thinks he's won. Oh, Father, help us to see the gospel as a beautiful thing. Help us to see the Bible as a beautiful thing. Your word, history. And God, I pray that you'd help us to live this out. Help us to invite people to hear the wonderful good news of Jesus. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen.